Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon with Lucas Befera, MBA student and chairman of the Rice Energy Finance Summit at Rice University. Lucas, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, Justin. I'm really happy to be on shore with you today. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, so am I. I don't know. I've had my years offshore, and I can certainly say that I'm happy to be onshore sitting here at the Canon. It's a nice spot here. And, you know, big shout out to the Canon for letting me record here. I always appreciate the hospitality. You know, one thing I, I had to ask, and, and this is maybe something that I, I saw your LinkedIn and it said MBA candidate, but is there a difference between a candidate and an actual student? Because I was trying to think, I'm like, well, I know he goes there, and, you know, what's a candidate? Can you, like, help clear? that for me? Yeah, I think the fundamental difference is that the candidate is somebody that has to do well enough to ultimately get the degree. Gotcha. You know, and, and the student, you know, I'm a lifelong student. So, okay. you know, I'm always going to be a student. Yeah? Yeah. Why is that? You know, I just like learning every day. Every day you learn something new. Okay. So to be a student, do you have to be in school or can you be a student of life? I think you can be a student of anything. For you sure. Know, life, internet, technology, energy, whatever you want. Right. Well, in sales, we have an acronym ABC, which is always be closing and you can have your own always be learning. Always so be a learning. ABL. I love it. Yeah. You know, always be closing is important too, though. Let's oh, yeah. not forget that. Right. Yeah. Closing deals left, right and center. That's about 90% of the what I do. So anyways, you know, before we get going, I just want to mention this episode is brought to you in part by Hillman Reed Premium Care. They've got you covered with everything from beard oils to hand lotion. So visit hillmanreed.com to learn more. Lucas, so you were just in New York. Is it feel a little bit better down here with it being like 70 degrees right now? You know, whenever I come back from New York and arrive in Houston, I always lighten up a bit. You know, yeah. I, I think, you know, there's a great vibe in Houston, especially when the Astros are doing well. Oh, buddy. It's, yeah, this yeah. is the place to be. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, for the listeners out there, it's funny because normally I've got two or three weeks in advance and Lucas and I hit it off last week. And next thing you know, you know within a week, we're lining this up. And fortunately, we're, you know, I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to let this air before the conference on Friday, which is really what I wanted to bring you in and, and, and highlight. So, you know, so tell us a little bit about Rice Energy, fin the, you know, the Rice Energy Finance Summit and, you know, kind of what what you can expect and, and what the goal is behind this summit or conference. Well, you know, I really appreciate you, Justin, bringing me in here to talk about the the Rice Energy Finance Summit. So, you know, it's in its 11th year now. It was founded back in 2008 by, you know, a group of MBA students at Rice Business. It was a, you know, it was a joint venture between the, the Energy Club and the Finance Club. And, you know, the goal really was to bring decision makers together for a full day of, you know, discussions about what was happening in the energy business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, where we're at today is, you know, what we want to do at this conference is make sure that we're addressing kind of the, you know, the elephant in the room, which is the energy business is not doing so well. <laughs> right. But what are the what are the growth prospects? And that's what we're trying to do. So, you know, this year we're we're, you know, kind of bounding the conference, you know, between capital discipline and value creation. Mm -hmm. And that's the theme of the conference. So, Lucas, then why don't you talk a little bit about how the conference is set up and, and what the agenda looks like on Friday? Of course. So, you know, this conference is completely student run. So, you know, it's me and a team of about 
10 other MBA students. Okay. You know, I just want to say shout out to my team. Everyone's worked extremely hard on, you know, the, the program, the operations, the marketing, the digital. So, you know, I really appreciate what everyone's done. And a special thanks to Ali Cedeno for, you know, hooking me up with OGGN, man. I mean, she's been great and she's, she's such an, such an asset. Cool. Good for her. As far as the agenda, you know, we have the, you know, we have Dallas, uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas President Robert Kaplan. He's going to be giving an opening remarks, followed by a roundtable of CFOs from from a lot of big uh, independents. So EOG, Concho, Apache, Southwestern. Then it rolls into discussion around environmental social governance, or ESG, which is kind of, uh, you know, captures the climate environmental piece and how that, you know, is affecting the energy industry. We have a lunch and then followed by that, we have Andrew Gould, who's who's our afternoon keynote. He's on the board of Saudi Aramco and he's going to give us his candid views on the so-called energy transition. Hmm. And after that, we've got three great panels. One's on midstream, one's on private equity and private credit, and the final one's on the energy growth and investment outlook. So we're going to wrap up just with a you know, kind of long-term look at what the industry can expect wow. from a capital market standpoint. Very cool. A fun-filled day over at Rice. Very fun. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Thank you. So who is this conference for? I mean, can anybody come and learn something or is it, you know, is it tailored towards certain individuals? Like, can you shine a little light on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, you know, the the conference typically draws about 400 attendees. Mm -hmm. And so the attendees are really, you know, there's three buckets. The first bucket are, you know, professionals in the energy kind of EMP space or, you know, think about the majors. So, we got a lot of guys and, and, and girls that come in from a lot of the big companies in town. So Exxon, BP, Shell, Chevron, they're all there. Mm-hmm. Then we have a lot of folks from the independent side and the midstream side that come in as well. So think about smaller, you know, portfolio companies of private equity firms and the like. And, you know, everyone's just trying to get some insight on what's happening right now. Right. So that's the first bucket. The second bucket are, you know, just generally speaking, the financial community of Houston. So Think about, you know, bankers, you know, kind of portfolio managers, wealth management professionals, a lot of kind of strategy consultants. Hmm. That's the that's the second bucket. The third bucket and my favorite bucket is, you know, the Rice University community. So we, you know, host a lot of students. Right. A lot of faculty. And, you know, this is, you know, across the graduate MBA program as well as the undergrad program. And, you know, a lot of the students use this as a major networking opportunity, and that's kind of what we try and do. We try and facilitate that. That's awesome. Well, good for you guys putting it on. Like you said, it's the 11th year, so obviously I'm sure you've had a lot of great engagement, and it's it's created a lot of traction and created a lot of awareness around, like you said, you know, just you know, the finance world within oil and gas. And and right now with sort of the volatility and the uncertainty of what's going to happen next year, I myself, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, more on the service side being in the drilling world, but being able to have the opportunity to come and learn and, and shake hands with some of the folks and just ask them some questions and, and you know, help, uh, you know, maybe share some information is certainly exciting. So what we'll do is we'll put the link in the show notes. And that way, if anyone wants to sign up, they can click the link, sign up. We'll put it on LinkedIn and, and hopefully get as many people as possible 
possible coming to uh, to join you guys at the summit. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. I mean, you know, we spoke a little bit. I, I kind of know your story, but I think it'd be interesting for the listeners to hear your story. You know, a gentleman out of New York now here in Houston, uh, you know, you travel a little bit back and forth, but, you know, you're you're young and passionate and, you know, being at uh, a school like Rice is obviously very impressive. So why don't you share your story and kind of how you ended up getting into the program and, you know, what leads us here sitting behind a microphone today? Happy to. You know, the funniest thing is, you know, in, in the MBA world, you spend a lot of time trying to dial in your story for mm-hmm. recruiting. Sure. You know, the first semester of any MBA program is usually, you know, centered around recruiting for internships. So you spend a ton of time thinking about, you know, who am I? Right. What have I done? Yeah. What do I want to do? Yeah. And so hopefully, you know, my forthcoming story will be, you know, the best one I've given yet. Very cool. But okay. uh, yeah, I'm happy to take it. So I'm originally from uh, upstate New York, from Albany. I did my undergraduate degree at Fordham University in uh, the Bronx, New York, Bronx represent. Nice. I studied economics and Chinese and really just got very interested in what was happening in you know, in China and, and globally around climate change and environmental issues. So that that was my entrance into energy. Interesting. You know, it was coming from that that standpoint. Yeah. You know, throughout my undergrad, I, I, I slowly tried to shift my studies into more of a policy-focused, you know, acumen. So I spent a lot of time looking at things like the Clean Air Act, you know, the waxman Markey, going all the way back you know, on cap and trade. So, you know, for the listeners that aren't aware of cap and trade, I definitely recommend you Google it okay. because that that's always kind of always, you know, a relevant thing to know as somebody in the energy business and somebody who's, you know, curious about what's happening with climate change and how markets can be applied to, to solving that. So you said cap and trade? Cap and trade. Yep. Okay. Can yep. you like in a few sentences, just like high level what that is? I mean, you kind of threw it out there and I'm curious. So I, I'd like to have at least a couple ideas of what it is. Yep. Yep. So, you know, picture a smokestack on a power plant. Okay. And, you know, picture, a, you know, a gas molecule going into that power plant mm-hmm. being combusted. And then as a byproduct, sending out a piece of carbon into the air. Of course, yeah. Assume that that carbon is the only piece of carbon that that plant can produce. Okay. And if it goes over that, then it has to pay. Sure. So assume it puts two carbon pieces out. That second piece is then worth, you know, call it $5. Okay. So you basically put a price on each carbon, you know, quantity of carbon that comes out of the smokestack. Interesting. And now the trade element is that if somebody's, you know, producing less carbon you know, they can, they can sell you their allowances. So they haven't, you know, they have allowances, you can buy them from them. Mm, okay. So it creates a market. You know, it's very wonky. I, like I said, I very much encourage people to search it. Hopefully I did it some justice there. No, you shine some light on it. And certainly actually I learned something today. So I like that. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> always be learning. That's right. That's why I ask the questions. <laughs> I'm always interested to learn. And most of the people that I interview are, uh, you know, f- far brighter than myself. So I always learn something. <laughs> <laughs> or definitely a lot more educated. So, uh, but anyway, I'll let you carry on. Yeah, you know, so I so I went to D.C. kind of during the Obama years and did some policy-related research. It was my first job out of undergrad for a place called the Center for Climate and Energy Solutions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there I just kind of continued to focus on this cap-and-trade thing, and it really, you know, focused me on renewables and what was happening in the power and utility space. And that's kind of to this day what I'm still mostly focused on. But, 
you know, your first job out of college, you always, you're always thinking about what's next. You know, what do I want to do? I really want to do this forever. And the answer is no, you know, right. you, need, you need to progress. You need to do some, something new. So, you know, I engaged in some entrepreneurial stuff around trying to figure out, you know, what was happening globally with cap and trade, which led me to China for a bit. And then, you know, that market just had not taken off when I was kind of around it. So I had to kind of reposition and, you know, I was looking out around for jobs and, you know, I was like, you know, maybe being a journalist would be pretty cool. You know, that would be another way to always be learning. For sure. So, you know, I took a job as a journalist back in D.C. with a company called Argus Media. And Argus, you know, is kind of the one of the leading kind of commodities price assessment firms. So, you know, they spend a lot of time interacting with the market, trying to figure out what's going on from a pricing standpoint. And, you know, that was a lot of fun. That was during kind of the end of the Obama years. So D.C. was was a much different place than it is today. I'm sure. So after that, I mean, you ended up pursuing an MBA at Rice, right? I mean, how, how long after that did you do that? And then, you know, what was the process like or sort of transition into doing that? And what kind of decisions did you have to make? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of folks out there that are contemplating it. I know, you know, myself to continue further education, but tell us a little bit about that transition and sort of like the risk reward you had to go through to finally make that decision. Happy to, you know, as a second year MBA, you spend a lot of time trying to convince other people to go and do an MBA. And so, you know, that that's, that's kind of what I've been doing a lot lately, talking with a lot of prospective students. So, mm-hmm. You know, when I was in D.C., I, I kind of stepped back and just kind of looked at my career as, you know, you know, what could I do as stepping stones to kind of get broadly to the world of energy and power finance? So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I left D.C., ultimately moved back to New York, and I took up a job as a reporter covering energy M&A and capital markets and really got into the weeds on, you know, what was driving deals and transactions in the space. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you interact with people as a journalist, you really get to, you you see, frankly, a lot of people that are in kind of banking roles and advisory roles have MBAs. So it was pretty clear to me I needed to pursue some sort of higher level degree. Of course. You know, I kind of just took a step back and looked at the sector and and looked at what, what I wanted to do. And a lot of it just entailed, you know, diversifying my network a little bit outside of New York. Mm hmm. And, you know, getting some energy chops down in Houston. I think you got to earn your chops in Houston if you want to be in the space. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is the stomping ground for sure. I mean, you know, it, it always, anyone that's in, you know, again, I use upstream because that's what I'm familiar with. Anyone that's in upstream that's made their way into the upper echelons of the upstream world has always, you know, either ended up in Houston or spent a significant amount of time in Houston. So, you know, I can respect you for taking that leap of faith and coming here. Have you always been interested in business and finance, like from an early age or where did you adopt that sort of that hunger for the business finance world? You know, I've just always been, you know, very, very engaged with financial news. Cool. I like knowing what's moving markets. And I I like the fact that it's there's so much interplay between so many different things, whether it's the price of oil or, you know, interest rates or, you know, geopolitical uncertainty, all that stuff, you can kind of boil it down, like, you know, affects business and finance. And you know, that's, that's what really drew me to, to, to finance, I would say, is just the fact that it touches everything. Gotcha. Yep. No, that makes sense. So your experience, you know, being at Rice, you were telling me that you actually got a, an internship at Barclays in New York. Was it last summer or? 
Yeah. So, you know, I did the, the full year of, you know, business school at Rice. I'm now in my second year. But the first year, like I said, a lot of it is centered around recruiting. Spent a lot of time, you know, going back and forth to New York recruiting for investment banking. And, you know, you, you grow a lot when you have to do that, when you have to fly all the time. And, and, you know, not everyone can do it. But when you get to a certain point, and you're a good candidate, you know, people, you know, the banks will start to have these events and stuff to bring you up to New York. So yeah, it's, it's pretty nice. You know, it, let's just say it's uncertain if you want to do that, but you're going to grow regardless. So, you know, that's what happened. I ultimately grew and, you know, Barclays and, and, you know, myself were a great fit and that's where I ended up going this summer. Yep. No, that's awesome. Do you plan on heading back there? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be in New York for their power and utilities group. No way. Good for you. That's yeah. super cool, man. Yeah. So what is it about doing your MBA that, that keeps you just grinding every day? And and I know it's a grind just talking to folks. And I have a good friend who's actually doing his executive MBA at A&M. And the amount of time and, and hours put into it just to me seems exhausting. But what keeps you driven to just keep going? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have always be learning, always be grinding. Right. You know, I think at a certain point, you just, you, you grind so much, you just get at a certain rhythm. You know? Right. And you just, if, if you like that rhythm, then you, it just works out on its own. Yeah. And that's kind of, I think, where I'm at with the first year. I think Rice does a really good job of, you know, kind of bringing people into an accelerated grind. You know, yeah. you have to grind and it brings you up to speed very fast. And I think I just got really familiar and comfortable with that grinding rhythm and just mm-hmm. haven't stopped and do you think rice kind of sets you up for preparing you for the real world in the in the business world well i have to say yes i mean of course <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, i would imagine yeah of course it's a great program i have nothing but but amazing things to say about it i think you know rice in particular you know is known for its academic pedigree mm-hmm. and, and the intensity of its academic curriculum some people really take to that. Other people, you know, it tests them. And I think I was one of the people that got tested. Yeah. And, and you just got to be resilient. Yeah. So you learn that as well as how to be resilient as an MBA student. And that's a lifelong, you know, care quality that's just never going to be uh, go out of fashion. Gotcha. Well, let's take a little bit of a, of a shift here. And, and obviously, you've got some real world experience, you know, at Barclays, you've been engaged with, you know, like you said, renewables, sort of just the overall finance in, in the energy industry. You, what does it look like right now from, you know, oil, like the oil and gas sort of side of things? I mean, obviously, Wall Street looks at us and is not very confident. What What do you think is going to happen? And what needs to happen for you know, the markets to have confidence back in oil and gas? Yeah, there's there's a few high level things. I mean, the first is, you know, the investor focus on free cash flow. Mm-hmm. You know, companies now have to operate within their own cash flow. Basically, they, they can't go out and, and, you know, source capital, you know, outside the market, outside the, you know, the company. So, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's focused in on that right now. And everyone's also focused in on like, hey, can we operate at $30 break even? Of course, it varies by where you're at. But, you know, the the cost pressures are, are the other thing is everyone's getting super lean. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thanks to our consultant friends for making that happen. You know, it, it's, <laughs> you know, and, and I think lastly is, you know, do management teams make good strategic decisions? Mm. So those are the main things. And if you see folks out there, you know, that are, you know, perhaps 
doing irrational acquisitions during a time right now at a high value, I think the market tends to, you know, immediately respond to that. Interesting. So does energy finance Twitter. Yeah, no kidding. I actually, so funny, you're mentioning, you're talking about FinTwit, I would imagine. And it was, I don't know how I came across, but I had a Twitter account from a long time ago and I followed a couple oil and gas, just generic, you know, Twitter handles. And then I kept seeing it was Mr. Skilling parody. And I was like, what is this? And started reading some of their stuff. And then I've got some good buddies, Colin McLeland and Jake Corley, who do another podcast in oil and gas called oil and gas startups. And they're pretty dialed in with the energy finance world. And they know some of the FinTwit groups and all this and that. And lately I've been reading that and it's just, it's extremely comical, but it's, you know, it's like the truth hurts and, you know, super entertaining for anyone out there who, who isn't aware. Yeah. Just Google, you know, energy FinTwit and you'll be blown away. I, I think it's, it's, it's just interesting to say the least. You got LinkedIn where everything's for the most part PC and then you know, you get on the FinTwit and it's just like the raw untold stories of the energy finance world. But nonetheless, what what's your stance or I guess what are your thoughts on, you know, are we on a, are we, is, is oil and gas shifting the way we do business or is this just another cycle? I mean, because the flip and sell, I mean, was sort of something that, you know, private equity was always interested in. People made money, a lot didn't. You know, is there like a real big, is the, sh- is the ship literally taking a turn and going down another path or what do you think? So Justin, I'm the first to admit that, you know, I have just as many questions as you. Sure. I frankly don't know the answer to that. And, you know, it, I think it's always easy to, to say it's a paradigm shift, but at the end of the day, like, you know, we need the fuel mm-hmm. you know? and that's just the way it's always going to be. Right. But, you know, it's also you know, true that things are changing. There's energy transition that's ongoing, the the decarbonization of the economy. Yeah. Those are all critical. And those are things people care about, especially investors and especially millennials, you know? Oh, yeah. So, you know, on another, on another note, if you do come to the Rice Energy Finance Summit, you will hear from decision makers who, you know, manage these funds, you know, manage companies, manage portfolios that can talk about it. Cool to a way deeper extent than myself. Hey, sure. But I, I value your, your judgment and your thoughts you. on it. So sort of one, one other question I had is, are, are you seeing a lot of companies or investors investing more on the green side of thing? I know BP mentioned in their last quarterly earnings that they were going to dump, I think, I want to say 500 million into green energy and, and a, sort of some other companies that, you know, are out of the UK and overseas slowly starting to invest and, and focus more and, and market themselves in a bit of a different way. Is that sort of something that you're seeing from the finance world or that you're aware of? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is one of the main reasons I came down to Houston. And I think is that I realized about a year or two ago that, you know, all of the majors, you know, are very keen to expand their kind of low carbon business units. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly focused with the European energy majors. So BP, like you mentioned, you know, Shell is very active in power. They're, they're trying to ramp up their, their electricity business. You know, they have a big corporate venture capital arm that, that does a lot of work here in Houston. You know, it's real. And these and there's, there's definitely a schism, I would say, between you know, the, the European majors and the U.S. majors. Yeah. But nevertheless, I think you look at what investors, big investors like, you know, BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street, what they want, what they want to see, I think they're they're definitely drawing majors towards that outcome to be more kind of green. But 
you know, ultimately you look at the CapEx, you know, allocations of these companies and the green energy bit is very, still very small. And yeah. I think that's something that there's going to be a lot of pressure to expand. Very interesting. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to the future and what the next five and even 10 years looks like on that side of things. Before we wrap things up, I wanted to ask more of a personal question. Do you have any daily habits or routines that keep you focused and motivated to keep grinding? Whether it's, you know, morning, evening, do you have anything that you do to kind of disconnect and and dial yourself in mentally on a daily basis? Yeah. You know, I take a lot of pride in not owning a car in Houston. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned that. You know, for me, there's nothing better than getting on my bike and, and biking to school or biking, you know, to meet friends. And I think the thing about biking is, you know, A, it's low carbon, you know, yeah. and, and but B, it's, you know, it's kind of like a native, you know, feeling of risk and just, you know, biking feels great. It and does. And try, it, yeah, and trying to be safe is fun, you know? Yeah. No, it's, and I don't mean to cut you off when you say that it's, you know, as a kid, there's no better feeling hopping on your bike and just pedaling, you know, as fast as you can until the cows come home with your buddies ripping up and down sidewalks, taking jumps. So yeah, I, I applaud you for that. And, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, we mentioned talking about, you know, renewables and stuff like that. And, and yeah, you're actually a man of your word. You're doing a, you're, you're doing the earth a favor by riding a bike, you know, so good for you. And yeah. And the NBA budget too. It's uh, it's also pretty economic. <laughs> I bet man. So if, if weather doesn't permit, or if, you know, you got to go for a long, stretch do you then uber or you got buddies yeah, with, yeah. give you a ride or what yeah a little bit of everything take the uber take the metro the metro is yep. pretty nice if you live in montrose area or downtown midtown you can take that right up to rice and yeah pretty smooth no kidding well that's cool no that's a good area so you live closer to the university then or yeah yeah i mean you, i think as a student you got to try and live close to school you spend so many hours over there no kidding same i guess it's true anywhere though yeah no shit that's true my brother-in-law actually he's going to u of h and he moved from you know underneath his parents house to somewhere as close to the to university and that was the best thing he ever did because you know living with mommy and daddy it's you know, you're on their payroll, so they they have control. But now he's on his own, and he's got his big boy pants on. So yeah, but you know, shout out to mommy and daddy, though. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for them, we'd be in a lot worse positions. At least I know I would be. <laughs> anyway, one last question for you: What's something about you that that not many people know about? You got any good hidden secrets or something that you'd like to unleash to the podcast world? You obviously don't own a car. Is there anything else? Any hobbies? Any other interests that you have other than you know nose uh, deep in the finance world? Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time analyzing the Air Jordan market. No um, way. Yeah, I was really, really loved Michael Jordan. Okay. Who didn't? Right. Everybody did growing Every, up. At everyone that age. loved him, but it was kind of the onset of the eBay world and the Jordan kind of retro period. So yes, I you know I spent a lot of time you know doing Jordan analysis in eBay and you know finding ways to buy and sell Jordans and. That was a lot of fun. I think that that's probably how I learned to love markets. Yeah, that's so cool. So do you, I mean, there's actually a lot of money to be made in that, whether you're, it's flipping shoes, you know, it's baseball cards, you know, any, anything like that. I always find it so fascinating. And and I don't know, you may have done this, but finding, you know, Jordans and flipping them on eBay for a profit. I mean, did you ever do that? Or was it more just analyzing, you know, the actual market of it? Or did you buy and sell shoes? Yeah, no, I had a whole process. You know, a lot of it, you know, the seed money still has not been returned. But you know, the point of it is like, you go on eBay, you find a pair of Jordans that have, that have you know, the photo's not great. They're, they're kind of scuffed up. 
Yeah. You buy them for a hundred, you just clean them up, you take out your you know camera and you make them look a little bit better and you sell them for 150. Dude, you know, that it's is, all about marketing. I love it. That is entrepreneurship like to the bone. I'm yeah. surprised you don't have a have a e-commerce business right now that you're making no. you know $300,000 a year. No, I'm out of the game now. I'm out of the Jordan you, game. You are? Oh, well, man, you never know. You could get into it another way, whether it's Jordans or something else, but you obviously have a knack for it. So good for you. That's yeah. super cool. All right. Well, uh, good deal. I'd like to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming events. Hey, guys. We have a couple of OGGN events on deck for the next month. OGGN's next Houston Happy Hour will be on October 29th at the Cannon for 4 to 6. As always, a portion of the proceeds will go toward Redeem Ministries to fight human sex trafficking. At this happy hour, we'll be discussing the process of taking a startup from simply an idea to obtaining the first purchase orders. The panel discussion will include Saudi Aramco Ventures, Shell Ventures, NOV, SCF Ventures, Eternal Energy, and Well Diver. Our next Denver happy hour will be on November 6th. Come join us for food, drinks, and a live podcast that we will announce at a later date. A portion of this event's proceeds will go to local charities Safe House Denver and Oil Field Helping Hands. Okay, now to the events on deck. The Tamora Leste Oil and Gas Summit 2019 will be on October 3rd through 4th in Dilly, Tamora Leste. The SMRP third quarter West Houston chapter meeting is on October 3rd at 11.30 in Houston. This event will cover the topic, are your PMs preventing or causing failures? IPAA and TIPRO are hosting their Leaders in Industry Luncheon on October 9th in Houston. On October 14th, the Canon will be having a disruptive energy workshop. The API Golf Tournament will be held on October 14th, 2019 at Kingwood Country Club. And as of right now, there are some spots still open, so be sure to check their website and register your team. The 2019 Operations and Process Technology Summit will be on October 14th through 16th in San Antonio. The summit will cover maximizing your molecular advantage, practical solutions for today, forethought for tomorrow. On October 24th, OGGN's very own Mark LaCour will be speaking at Tech to Market in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Balkans Petroleum Conference will be held on October 24th through 25th in Budva, Montenegro. The summit is the official event for the Balkans oil and gas industries. Lastly, the George H. Bush Conference this year will be on October 28th through 29th in Houston. Honoring President George H.W. Bush, the Bush-China Conference brings together Americans and Chinese to discuss critical bilateral, regional, and global issues and to generate innovative recommendations for advancing the relationship. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape over the winter, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Again, thank you for listening to Oil & Gas Onshore. If you're looking for more info, visit oilandgasonshore.com. Lucas, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. What's the best way for people to reach out to you or, you know, obviously, we can put Rice's website in the show notes. Do you mind if we put your LinkedIn profile there? Yeah. If, ha- if, if ha- say any of the you know, young folks out there want to reach out and have any questions regarding the program? Happy to. Yeah. I mean, LinkedIn or, you know, of course, refs, R-E-F-S dot rice dot E-D-U. That's where all the info is on the event.
Perfect. We'll put that link in the show notes. Anyone out there who's heard this that's in the Houston area, please come support and come visit the summit on Friday. We'll be there. Thanks again, everyone. And always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil and Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. 